Hello again. Uh, this morning we are kicking off a new series called The Chance of a Lifetime. And throughout the next six weeks, we're going to be looking at what is considered the greatest sermon of all time. And this sermon was made by Jesus himself. And most of the time it's referred to as the Sermon on the Mount. And this sermon has so much packed into it, into what it means to be a Christ follower. What does it mean to be a part of God's kingdom? And many times we hear the word Christian and we hear the word Jesus and we hear God's kingdom and all these different ideas come to our head as to what that means or what that doesn't mean. I know for me, I, I have lots of different images, lots of different ideas that, that come. And I'm sure the same is true for you. So what we want to do over the next few weeks is look at well, what did actually Jesus say about what it means to be someone who follows God? And what did Jesus say about what it means to actually be somebody that's a part of a kingdom that's not of this world, but actually God's kingdom, something that he has established and wants us to join in with what he's doing among the world. And so we really want to show you this as this idea of it's the chance of a lifetime to discover what it means to actually be somebody who steps outside of maybe the things that make direct sense to us on what we can see on this earth to something that's outside of maybe our common experience. Maybe it's outside of our common goals, but that cuts through to the heart of actually what we all long for. And the idea of the chance of a lifetime is really the chance that all of us have been looking for. It's this idea of what, what should my life be about? What's my purpose? And so what we hope to do over the next few weeks is talk about that, not in just grandeur ideas or big concepts, but really, what does that mean to be a part of what God's doing in the here and now? And how does that impact my life? And so just as a way of context, I wanted to bring you in to really what was happening at the time that Jesus delivered this most famous sermon. And it's not a sermon that you might think today. They didn't have like a worship service like we just had and, and singing. And it was really a time where he decided to speak to his followers, the disciples, a group of men, and explain really what they are a part of. He wanted them to have a vision for their life like they've never experienced. He wanted them to have an idea of where their lives were headed. And as he was talking to this group of men, there was a multitude and a crowd that heard it. And as they heard it, they began to get this sense of God was up to something. They began to get the sense of change was on the horizon. And the reason they wanted change is during this time, the Jewish people were, were really in a, a hard state of life. They were under Roman rule and there were religious leaders of the time who were Jewish that really weren't looking out for the people. They were really looking for political gain, for religious gain, and for power. And so the people were experiencing oppression. They experienced really life on this just kind of cruel, legalistic way. They didn't really understand what true peace was. They didn't really understand God in the midst of everything that was going on. And they were in a deep oppression. And in this time, they began to think through, surely the Messiah will come to revolutionize what we experience. Surely somebody will come to save us just like we were saved out of Egypt. And if you trace back 
the Jewish people, you see again and again oppression that, have, that they've experienced and then the hope they have in God to relieve them from it. And the same was true during Jesus' day. And so Jesus began to enter the scene and he actually wasn't as well known as you might think. Many, I'm sure, heard of his birth and the fact that there was this virgin and how did that work? And they probably heard somewhat of the wise men. But as far as all in the region, not everyone knew the story of Jesus. He wasn't this grand king that came and everyone knew who he was. In fact, his first kind of entrance onto the scene where he made his ministry public, he was 30 years old. So up to age 30, there was a lot of people that didn't know who he was. And at age 30, he decided, you know, I need to obey God and I need to be baptized. And John the Baptist baptized Jesus to show the importance of when Jesus says to do something, you do it. And he did it. And he began his ministry by obeying his father. So that's how he entered the scene. Most kings come in grand parades with multitudes. Jesus entered by obeying his father and being baptized. That wouldn't really seem like this is the kind of entrance a king would have. And that picture really represents again and again the way of the kingdom being different than what we might expect what we might expect so as he was baptized he began to speak and teach the people that the kingdom of god is at hand there's this idea of the kingdom is coming a chance for hope is here and the people began to see that and you'd think people that are in a time of oppression, people that are experiencing just this awfulness of rulers over them that are really not looking out for their interests, but the leaders are looking out for their own interests. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of change. There's a sense of something has got to give because I cannot live like this. And most of the people were feeling this. And what Jesus began to do is show people the difference that living for God's kingdom can make in their own personal life. And I'm sure many were looking for battles that could be fought, freedoms that could be won. But instead, he came and he delivered this sermon which really turned everything upside down. It turns people's expectations around. It turned people's goals, what they were thinking around. He came and he said, this is what the kingdom of God is like. This is what it means to follow my way. As the Messiah. This is what it means to follow in the kingdom that God wants to bring in the here and now. And so all the things that people were expecting, Jesus came and said, here's what you think. Here's what you may feel. Here's what you may hope. But here is the reality of what God wants to do in you. And the you there is the disciples. But he knows there's a grand audience looking. And so he begins to unpack that. So that over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about the needs and the desires that we have and how being a part of the kingdom actually brings those things to fruition. The very things that the people were wanting, we want today. We want peace. We want hope. We want purpose. And we look in for those things in a variety of places. But what Jesus came to do was to say, the things that you desire, the things that you really want can be found by going God's way. So today we're going to talk about peace but peace that you can't have by war. It's peace that you can have by actually following Jesus. Next week, we're going to talk about the impact 
that you can make as a Christ follower. We're going to talk about um, how following in God's way gives you all that you need and more. We're going to talk about the freedom that you can have in the kingdom of God. We're going to talk about how you can have focus in your life being a part of the kingdom of God. And then we're going to close it out and talk about, for the one and only, how you can actually focus on God being the priority of your life. And that is all that you actually need. And that brings focus to your life as well. So that's, that's where we're, we're headed. And this idea of the chance of a lifetime really represents the possibility of something happening. There's a chance. It's not luck, but there's a possibility of something happening. And the things that they were hoping would happen and the change that the people thought would come a lot of times are the same things that we want today. And there's this chance that Jesus brought that says, this is the possibility that you've been waiting for. This is the kind of life that you want to live, but you may not know it. And so he begins talking about these things called the Beatitudes. These are the character traits that we should all possess if we're a follower of Jesus. These are the things that, that you should be. So he begins not with a revolution. He doesn't begin with this is the battle. This is what you have to fight for. Jesus actually teaches that character is the number one factor or the primary factor in our happiness. So could you imagine somebody coming to a group of people that so desperately want change and they're thinking, how can we act? What can we do? What do we need to fight how can we think differently to bring about change? And he starts with not what you can do, but who you need to be. Could you imagine just how frustrating that could be for people that are thinking revolution, change? And he says, well, the revolution begins inside of you. And that's what happens when you follow Christ. The revolution doesn't happen on the outside from what you do. The revolution happens from what God does within you. What God does within me, that's the kingdom of God. It changes you from the inside out. So you could expect all these people were waiting. I want to hear what this is about. And then he begins talking about things that make you blessed. This is here is how you experience the blessed life. Here is how you experience the happy life. And I'm sure everyone is just all right. Let's talk about the kingdom. Let's talk about the revolution. But let's start with what makes us happy. That makes sense to us, right? We want to do what makes us happy. We want to do the things that bring blessing. So Jesus started right with what they wanted. You want the good life? Here it is. And he talks about a few things. I'm just going to highlight it. He talks about blessed are those that are poor in spirit. What? What kind of a revolution is that? Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are those who are meek. Blessed are those who seek what is right. Happy are those who are merciful. Happy are those who are pure. Blessed are the peacemakers. Now, could you imagine a campaign that was being run politically that was basically, you know what? If you put yourself behind everyone else, your life's going to be great. That's a party of one. It has the leader and no one else. This is what Jesus said. He says, you, you want change. You want blessing. You want happiness. It begins with the revolution inside of you. 
That's how you're blessed. Because you look to make peace. You look to identify with those that are hurting. You look to do what is right. Even when everyone else is doing what's wrong. That's where change happens. So I don't know the scene exactly. Like if there was a great crowd and he started talking about blessing and people are just like, when he looks that way, I'm getting out of here. I don't know, but it seems like this is an ensmallment campaign, right? You have a multitude of thousands and he looks up and people are like, ah, yeah, gotta, I got to go. There, uh, there's a goat missing on our farm. And they, they leave. It seems like the, the masses would just get out of there. Because it's just, it doesn't make sense. It's upside down. On the front of your program, you'll see an image. I want you to look at that. You notice anything different about that? You walk out your door and you step in the sky. What? And the path is up above. That's kind of what Jesus is showing. He's, he's talking about the upside down kingdom. There's no kingdom that's had the same principles of God's kingdom. There's no kingdom that has changed so many people with so many average people. God works through the normal average people of history. He always has. And there's this counterintuitiveness that you have to understand when considering what it means to follow Jesus. It doesn't make sense. There's appeal, but at the same time, it costs you your life. It's the very thing that you want. A good life seems like it costs you. That's what Jesus is saying. You want the good life, then you have to come my way. And as you lose your life, you actually gain it. What? That doesn't even make sense, Jesus. Right? It's so upside down. That's what following God is. If you are willing to take the risk that his upside down kingdom actually orients you to the right things and actually gets you the destination that you cannot get to by yourself, the good life will come. Life abundant, better than you know without him. That's what Jesus came. So he starts with, here's the thing. Let God change you from the inside out. And then you can change your world. Let God change you from the inside out. And then you can change your world. So he talked about character. All those things that he said in the beginning in Matthew 5 are based on character. And then he goes a step further and he wants people to connect the dots between not just character that you know, but character that actually reveals itself in relationships. So Jesus was always thinking, how do I get a group of people that will be willing to love each other in a way that just shows God is real? How can I get my followers to treat each other in a certain way so that people know God is real? He wanted to use normal people like me and you to actually be the proof that there is a God and he makes all the difference. Isn't that crazy? I mean, it's God. So he can basically design an army out of anyone he wants to and he could conquer Anyone he wants to at any time in history. But he chose people like me and you. 
that we're willing to allow Him to change us on the inside so that we can change the world around us. So He's saying, okay, this character, it needs to impact relationships. It needs to impact what you do to people. It needs to impact how you communicate to people. It needs to impact the kind of person you are at your work. It needs to impact the kind of husband you are to your wife, the kind of wife you are to your husband, the kind of roommate you are to your roommates, the kind of friend you are to your friend, the kind of son you are, the kind of daughter you are, the kind of citizen you are. This needs to impact every facet of life. It needs to impact every relationship that you're in. And the people, I'm sure, well, we said a revolution, but this is not what we thought. I'm going to have to change. I'm going to have to think differently. I'm going to have to treat people differently. Again, the installment campaign had been established. He wants to reach everyone, but not everyone can be reached. Because he's saying this is the way. You have to choose to come it. You have to choose this path. This is the way. The rest of the time, I want to talk about the idea of peace and how this idea of the chance of a lifetime is to experience peace that you and I have never known. Because the peace that comes from following Jesus and going His way crosses cultures, crosses continents, crosses experiences, crosses paths, everything that we've done, it crosses through and it allows us to connect with the living God that brings life to us. So Jesus is saying, blessed are the peacemakers. And so I just want to talk a little bit about that specific character trait, this idea of peace. So he's commanding, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are those that, that desire peace to exist in every facet of their life. Uh, Matthew 5, 9 says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. You resemble being a part of the family with God as your father when you work for peace. And what's your idea of peace? You know, I grew up in school where like peace, I think of like the 60s. Like peace, man, right? The hippie glasses, throwing the peace signs up. The tie-dye shirt with the peace sign. Peace. Is that it? Blessed are the peacemakers who wear the peace shirt with the peace sign? No, he's saying, you're making it. You're not just for it, but you're making it. It doesn't come by the signs that you put up. It, kind, it comes from the life that you live. From how you are at school to how you are at home, you value peace. And to value peace means that you value people. To value people means that you're willing to put others in front of yourself. That's how peace flows. So Jesus is saying, you, you all want peace. You want to be free of the oppression. You want to be free of the pressure you're experiencing. I know you guys are stressed. I know you're experiencing all these things from this Roman government that's taking over. I know you want peace. But actually, blessed are you if you make it. Blessed are you if you work for peace. Because you represent 
me. You are a part of my family as you work for peace. And true peace comes from actually going God's way. And so throughout his sermon, he describes more of what it means to be a peacemaker. I want to give this description because I know for the people at the time, they wanted peace, but they didn't want to be the primary forces who were bringing it about. They wanted somebody, a ruler, to come and force it. But isn't that kind of counterintuitive? We will have peace. Or you're going to be in trouble. That's sometimes how I operate as a dad, right? As a father. We need peace and quiet in this house. If you open your mouth, you're busted. Right? Like, peace. Okay? Wow, that, that was a little, kind of got me a little scared. It doesn't work. Peace doesn't come through force. That's the opposite. And so they're saying, wait a second. We, we need to make it. Well, I, I, can make, I can make peace. We want a revolution. I, we can do that. Just tell us where to go. Be our Messiah. Lead us as an army of peace. He's saying, okay, well, hold your horses, everybody. This is what it means to be a peacemaker. And he describes it. To be a peacemaker means that you're willing to clear up relationships. He says this in Matthew 5:23. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go. First, be reconciled to your brother and then come and offer your gift. So they're in a time of relig- religiosity where the appearances were more important. The religious leaders at the time were saying, you know what, as long as we look good, we are good. Even if on the inside, if it's not real. And so many people began to think, okay, it's just what I do on the outside. If I can fake it, I can make it. And Jesus came to say, wait a second. If you're there at worshiping God and you remember that you don't have peace with your brother because of something that you've done, you leave the worship. You leave and you go and make that right. Never before have they really heard anything. So remarkable by a religious leader. And it goes against a lot of our tendencies. A lot of times we want to focus on the outside. And so we just kind of sweep issues under the rug like it didn't happen. And we have some bitterness with people. We have some things that aren't right. Somebody said something to us, it offended us. We said somebody to something that offended them. We don't make it right. And what you begin to find is all the stuff that's brushed under the carpet, it begins to clump up. And you begin to trip on it. And it halts your progress because stuff has to be dealt with. Relationships have to be made right. And so to be a peacemaker, Jesus is saying, you have to clear these things up. If you mess up, you clean it up. If you mess up, clean it up. It's here. It's what you do behind closed doors. It's what you do when you've offended someone. It's what you do when you've had an attitude with someone, when you've been harsh with somebody. A peacemaker changes their world by clearing up relationships. Have you ever been offended by somebody and when you really boil it down, you just kind of realize, you know, I'm just, I am just frustrated at them. 
and it kind of changes the way you see them. You guys ever had that? Like where somebody does something and because they've offended you or they've hurt your feelings or they've just been harsh, anything they do kind of fuels the fire. You gave me a dirty look again. When they walked in, they didn't even say hello to me. When they walked in, they made eye contact and they looked the other way. Everything the person does is now fuel to the problem that you have with them. What Jesus is saying is, don't make an account of all that they're doing wrong. Wipe the account away. Throw it away. Make it right. Clear it up. And if somebody's offended you, you go to them in love and you say, you know what? You said something and I'm really struggling with that. I just want to talk to you about that because I, I found that I'm, I'm bitter. And I don't want to be bitter at you. And you begin to talk about the problem. And the person who maybe said something they should have can ask for forgiveness. And the person that's bitter can ask for forgiveness. And what you find is God brings peace into relationships. Yesterday, this is what usually happens. You have a message that I'm preparing for. And then everything in my life seems to just kind of bring into focus the things I need to work on in my own life. And yesterday I was relating with my kids and I was fired up about something that I wanted them to get. And if you've, you know, you've been a parent or even if you're trying to help somebody and you want to teach them something, there's this line where it goes from, I want to help you to, you need to, you need to listen to what I'm saying and you need to get this. You need to stop talking and you need to focus. And what I began to do is I, was, I began to be harsh because I felt like they weren't being serious about what I was being serious about. Isn't that the worst? Where you're fired up and you look and you're like, they're, they're not even here right now. And I was frustrated. And I was harsh with my kids. And what I could see is in my daughter's face, there was this part of her where I had crossed the line. I had I'd been rude to her. I'd been harsh. And I'd kind of stolen some of that peace that was in the relationship. So as I was prepping for being a peacemaker, I realized I wasn't making peace with my own kids, who I really love. And I thought, how much do I not make peace with those people that aren't even my kids? So this morning I, I went after I was prepping for this message and I, I just went to my kids and I said, you know what, guys, I, I blew it yesterday and I was harsh with you. And I raised my voice and I was wrong. Will you forgive me? My daughter smiled in this kind of embarrassed smile, like, okay, my dad, that's kind of weird. But yeah, I forgive you. And you know what? At that moment, it's like peace entered again. The way of the kingdom. That pleases God. It was made right. And they're young kids, but at that, you know, no matter our age, for the most part, we can understand when things in our relationships are right. So clearing up relationships, that's how you make peace. Another thing you do is refuse to use people for selfish reasons. And so Jesus, on this sermon, talking to his disciples with the multitudes listening, he talks about lust. And at the time, there was this idea of adultery, like, you know, what, when can you make a divorce or not make a divorce? And when adultery is in, involved, and he, they were kind of trying to figure out, like, what's the line? And where are we okay? And where are we not okay? And, and all these things, and he just cuts right to it. He, he talks about, you know what, if you lust after somebody... You're actually committing adultery. You are sinning against God. It's really stemmed to this idea of using people. Peacemakers don't use people for their own happiness, for their own enjoyment. 
So peacemakers, they refuse to use people for selfish reasons. You want to be a peacemaker? You want a revolution? Then what about your thoughts about the people in your life? And he cuts right to it. What about the thoughts about the people you have that no one else knows but God knows? You want to be a peacemaker, you have to address those. So he cuts right to it. He also says, you know, you want to be a peacemaker, you need to be trustworthy. In the sermon he describes this idea of people who say, stay true to their word. Matthew 5, through 45. He says, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Okay, again, they want a revolution. Have you ever heard a kingdom with a king about to embark on a battle? He's like, all right, on this battlefield that you stand, you need to love your enemy and you need to pray for them. Could you imagine everyone's with the swords, the shields, and like, do we hug it out? Like, how do I hug with the shield and the what? Like, what does that, what? It's upside down. They're thinking revenge. They're thinking justice. They're thinking rebellion. They're thinking revolution. And he says, love your enemies and pray for them. Pray for those who persecute you. And then he goes on. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. You want to be a part of the kingdom with the king? You want to be part of this royal throne that God's establishing? Then you represent the king. And you're like his child. And this was Jesus' life. He did this again and again. Even to the point where he was persecuted falsely. He was put on the cross and he died. So even that is the picture of a revolution that we could not establish or make sense out of of ourselves. This is his way. He says, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. We have a picture of what we want to do to our enemies. We have a picture of what we want to do to people that come against us. And wars, I'm sure, are still going to happen. But he's saying for the Christ follower, there's a part of us that always knows it's God who is just. It is God who's in control. And so even when it seems like the things that are due to us or the things that people should get because of what they've done, even when it seems to us it doesn't make sense, there's this idea of, you know, you're the king, God. You see everything. You know everything. And you will handle it. Now, he uses the authority and the governments to be a part of his justice, but ultimately the Christ follower realizes I have to be very careful on how I produce justice in my world. And my tendency is to make people pay. And I'll do that emotionally. I can do that with my attitude towards them. What it's saying is, you know, there's just the way of the kingdom is, is one of love. And you actually pray for those that come against you. So again, the people that have just hung around long enough to hear further the message, at this point I'm thinking, all right, that's too far. I can't pray for this enemy. They keep stealing from me. I can't pray for this religious leader. They're a hypocrite to me. He's saying you need to pray and love. Then he goes on further and he says, 
You also need to take ownership of your part of a problem. If you want to be a peacemaker, you have to take ownership of your part of the problem. Matthew 7, 3 says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? And I don't know if you've ever heard that analogy, but it's actually kind of humorous. The idea is, you know, you see something that somebody has that you're just like, oh my goodness, I can't believe they do that. They're so rude. Why would they say that? And what Jesus is saying is, you know, you're so focused on the other person, but you have no idea how contorted your vision of them is because you have this plank that's hanging off your eye. Like, picture that. You're looking for the splinter in this person in front of you, but you have this branch that's just protruding out. It doesn't make any sense. So you want the revolution and you want the kingdom way? You want to be a part of something that I'm doing? Deal with your own mess. Deal with your own life. Now let me ask you this. Do you think the quality of all of our relationships would be better if each of us dealt with the, our own stuff? When I say stuff, I mean, you know, the problems we have, the issues, bad attitudes, sins that we do. Would the quality of our relationships be better if we actually dealt with ourselves first? And the people said, yes. This is what Jesus felt like. One person, yeah! The rest, I don't, I don't know what he just said. But right, the quality of our relationships would be so far better. Peace would be far more realized if we dealt with our own issues. This sounds like a great, like, okay, how do I be better in life? But Jesus is saying this is the way of the kingdom. It makes a difference in your relationships. I don't know about you, but when I deal with, like, my wife or with my kids or those friends that I'm relating to, if I notice something that I've done and I ask God for help, you know, God, I I really have a bad attitude. And that's coming out in how I'm relating to these people that I care about. God, will you help me to have a better attitude? What I find is, is God begins to work in me and he begins to bring about change. And my frustration with people, it it lessens. And what I demand of people is put into the light of really, who am I? Look at all I'm doing and the things that I've got to work on. And you begin to see people differently. People close to you, people you relate to, people at your workplace. You want to be a peacemaker. It begins with what God wants to do in you. It begins with what God wants to do in me. That's how you are a peacemaker. You're willing to clear up relationships. You're willing to deal with your own problems that you have and the way that you relate to people. You're willing to keep your word, to do what is right, to be trustworthy. You're willing to do all these things because God is changing you. You're not trying to do it yourself. He's changing you as you go the way of His kingdom. And that's how peace begins. It begins with us realizing that we can have peace as we turn to God and do life His way. And so if you thought 
and you sit here and you think, well, I, you know, peacemaker, that seems to make sense. And I could see how my relationships would be better. And it seems like a good life could come from that. But if there's this turmoil that you have that you just you sense that I don't have that peace myself. It begins with you getting that peace from the God who holds it. And if you've never committed your life to Christ and you've spent a lot of your life trying to do things by your own strength in your own way, there really is a lack of peace that we all have when we do that. And what Jesus is saying is you want to be a peacemaker, you need to come my way first. If you do life my way and you commit to doing these things that I'm saying and you decide that pleasing God is going to be the number one pursuit of your life, you can be this peacemaker. So the things that he was telling them is the same thing he tells us today. If you want this peace, it begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And as you decide not to go your own way and you repent and you turn around and you decide, God, I want to go your way. I don't want to go my way anymore. Change can be experienced. Peace can be established in your heart and in your mind and in what you do. And then you can make it in your world to the people that you relate to. So I just want to encourage you to do that. It may be that you need to begin by following Jesus and experiencing his peace for the first time. The revolution that he described a couple thousand years ago is the same one he wants to do. From within, coming out to change the world around us. And so I just want to encourage you, if you've never committed your life to follow Jesus, and you long for that peace, there's a place on your connection card where you can say, I'd like more information about what it means to follow Jesus as my Savior and Lord. If you've never done that, if you check that box, we will send you some stuff and you can learn more about what that means. Now, if you have committed your life to Christ and you just realize there's this staleness in your relationships and there's this kind of this lack of peace that you're experiencing, it might be that you just need to apply one of those aspects of being a peacemaker. Maybe it's been a long time since you've cleared up a relationship and maybe there's a problem that you need to deal with. This could be the very thing that's kind of clogging up the flow of peace that God wants to bring to you. Maybe you just, you've not been keeping your word. Maybe you've not been keeping your mind in check. Whatever it is, I want to encourage you today, take a step to do that. I want to close really briefly with um, just an experience I had this past week. I went to the memorial of Louis Zamperini and... Uh, there's a movie coming out about his life that Angelina Jolie is directing on, in Christmas based on the book Unbroken, uh, which is written by Laura Hildebrand. And this book is a chronicle of his life. Uh, Louis was an Olympian. Uh, he was a war vet, a POW, a survivor of just gruesome things. And later in his life, he really was committed to helping people come to know Jesus. And so he was committed to being a peacemaker in his world. And so I took my kids to his memorial on Thursday night. And it was just this great experience of hearing the impact that Louis had made. He just died on July 2nd. He lived a life. He was 97 years old. So he lived this long life. And many people talked about a lot of things that happened as an Olympian. And they talked about a lot of the things that happened as a wartime hero. And then there was one gentleman that came up. And he described the difference that Louis had made it on his life six months ago. Okay, Louis, 97 years old. There was a young man that came up and said, here's a difference that Louis made in my life. And this man was a drug addict. 
and was experiencing just this turmoil. He longed for peace, but he couldn't find it. And so Louis, by the help of his family that were connected to this young man, decided, you know, let's, let's help this young man get help. And he went to this program in Australia, Youth with a Mission, and he actually committed his life to Christ and began to get the help that Jesus brings. And he turned his life around. And he said a few things about Louis, which I think represents the kingdom for which Jesus is describing. So here's a young man that just met him a few months ago. And he said this uh, about Louis. He, He didn't boast. He didn't regale him with stories of heroism or mention the money he provided for my recovery. He simply said, glory to God. 60 years ago, the same experience that happened to me happened to Louis. And he described the fact that he had run in to an experience with Jesus Christ that had changed his life. What this young man is recalling, the fact that Louis became a peacemaker and changed his life. And from that, people around him were blessed. And again, again, you see this story of this is what Jesus does with those people that follow him. So I just want to encourage you. I am nowhere near the man that Louis Zamperini was. And I don't have near the resume that he has, even at my age right now, when I compare to his age. And you're the same. But what he did later in his life represents what we can all do. And that's do life God's way, experience the peace that he brings, and allow that peace to flow through us to impact those around us. So I just want to close with that. Um, As soon as I'm done praying, the band is going to be leading us in a song, and you can put your connection card uh, in there. There's some next steps that you can take. For time, I'm not going to go through those, but you might want to check one of those on the back of your connection card. So as I pray, and as the band leads us, uh, you can finish filling that out and then drop that in the connection card as it comes by. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for the life and the testimony of Jesus who thousands of years later we can learn really what's important to you. And thank you for him and the example that he set. And God, we really do long for peace and we long to experience life in a way that actually makes a difference in our own experiences, in our own relationships. And we actually want to make a difference with those around us as well. And so, God, I pray that that is real to us. It's not just ideas, but it's something that we can actually take steps to either find peace with you or to take steps to making peace with those around us. So we ask for your help in the name of Lord Jesus. Amen.